0: Good morning. In today's headlines, Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping secures another five-year term in power and his immediate predecessor was mysteriously escorted out of the party leadership meeting. We hear from experts on what's possibly behind the move.
1: Former British Prime Minister Boris Johnson bows out of the race for Prime Minister. Find out what this means for the remaining candidates.
0: With the gap in polls closing tighter and Congressman Lee Zeldin even leading in one, A one-off debate has finally been agreed to in the race for a New York governor.
1: Pennsylvania's GOP nominee for governor is touring his state before the midterms. We caught up with him to hear how his campaign is going.
0: And a coal miner had an unexpected injury and used his downtime to refine his hobby. He now takes breathtaking photographs.
1: Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning and I'm Evelyn Lee. It's October 24th on this Monday morning. Hope everyone had a great weekend and a lot has happened over the weekend. We open up with some big news coming out of China. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping has secured a precedent-breaking third term in power. This comes from the party's leadership meeting, which concluded over the weekend. She will stay as the Communist Party General Secretary for at least five more years until 2027, as predecessors after Mao Zedong have set a norm of retiring after two terms. The CCP also shuffled its highest decision making body, the Politburo Standing Committee. Shanghai's Communist Party chief Li Qiang will likely replace incumbent Chinese regime Premier Li Keqiang, who is expected to retire next March. Li Qiang was a focus of public anger over Shanghai's COVID lockdowns, but he has a long history with Xi. The man he would replace, Li Keqiang, was absent from the press conference.
1: There was also an unusual incident during the CCP meeting on Saturday. Xi Jinping's immediate predecessor, Hu Jintao, was unexpectedly escorted off the stage. Who could be seen sitting next to Xi. During the closing ceremony of the meeting, he was mysteriously escorted out of the stage. It's not immediately clear why he was escorted out. who appeared to resist leaving as stewards led him away. This was highly unusual because such events undergo meticulous stage management. Video of the incident was widely shared on Twitter, but could not be seen on Chinese social media platforms due to heavy censorship. Who was the CCP leader from 2002 to 2012, immediately before Xi took power?
0: the chinese state media said who was escorted out out of the meeting excuse me because he was feeling unwell the international community is paying close attention and offering their analyses The BBC said in a report that there are two likely reasons. One was that Hu was having serious health problems that happened very suddenly. The other reason proposed was that it was part of China's power politics on full display. The BBC said Hu could have been symbolically removed because he represents a former time. China Affairs experts are offering their thoughts on what's possibly behind this unusual incident. Here's Professor Zhang Tianliang's comment during a live panel discussion on Saturday.
2: It didn't look like he was feeling unwell from the way he walked. If he were feeling unwell, the party's health experts would have assessed that and stopped him from attending the meeting. Also, if he were feeling unwell, other people would have been able to show their concerns without having to worry about anything because there wouldn't be any political consequences. But we see that Wen Jiabao, Wang Yang, and Hu Qinhua, who used to work under Hu Qintao, they didn't even look at Hu
3: Qintao.
0: And another thing that happened over the weekend, China released its GDP data with a delay. It's stronger than expected, but after Communist Party Xi Jinping secured his third term, foreign investors still dumped their Chinese equities. I spoke to James Gorey, author of The China Crisis, to ask him what he thinks Xi's new term has in store, and also how he reads the delay of GDP data.
2: China doesn't really produce accurate Informative numbers, anyway. But I guess it's gotten to the point where they they're beyond the fudge factor. So, what does it say about China's economy? Look, things are things are rough, and they're getting worse. Uh, China's economy is on a downward spiral. Uh, you can't continue to have zero lockdowns uh, on hundreds of millions of people for months on end um, for the zero COVID policy and so forth. You can't keep doing that and putting people out of business, people, people me, putting people out of work. Um, and you have unemployment. You have, you know, a fall in demand. You have a fall in, in consumer confidence, and so forth. You have a savings rates through the roof. So, it shows a lot about hey, the economy is not doing well. And that's just not with, with the COVID lockdowns. You know, the, the collapse of, of Evergrande, three hundred billion dollars worth of, of bonds they can't meet, make uh, payments on. So, and they're not the only one. They're just one of them. I mean, the entire sector is collapsing. And uh, the steel industry is collapsing as well. Their profits are down 80% uh, from earlier this year. So there's not a lot of good news uh, in, the, in China's economy.
0: Right. And on top of that, we have seen some rare protests recently in Beijing. So how do you read into that? I, I'm also wondering, I guess this is two questions now, I'm also wondering how China's economy impacts that, um, I mean the socialist stability, as the regime calls it.
2: Right. So, you know, protests aren't rare so much. There's a, a lot of them around, but some get more publicity than others. And these are directed at Xi Jinping himself in one, in one or two cases where, you know, people are, it's not about, it's not about they're protesting the, just the economy. Yeah, their lives are tougher. Um, the protests kind of indicate a a, a disaffection with the middle class. Um, you know, the trade-off was for the CCP after Tiananmen Square. Look, We'll handle the economy. You guys get rich and do well, and um, don't talk politics. But that's not happening anymore. So um, they're not liking the, the uh, economic recession. They're not liking the lack of jobs. They're not liking the uh, the, the loss of their of their autonomy. Um, these these billboards and posters weren't just about jobs. It was about freedom. You know, it was about respect. They mentioned things like, you know, we we don't want to be slaves. We want to be citizens. We want respect. Uh, so it wasn't just about economics, but it certainly economics certainly does play a huge part. Absolutely, uh, and so they're not stupid. People know when they're not doing as well as they were last year.
0: How do you think the regime in China will tackle this? Now we just saw the incident in Manchester as well, where a Chinese diplomat was pulling a protester's hair. I mean, what can we expect there?
2: More of the same. Now some people will say, well. You know, with G's next term or lifetime term, whatever it might be, that he's gonna now that he has lifetime power and things are going poorly, that he's gonna have to compromise. But that's not what he's done in the past. Um, he's doubled down on oppression. When the pandemic hit, he doubled down on oppression. He said, "We're gonna take more control." Now that the economy is spiraling out of control, what does he do? He he beats up, you know, the the high tech industry, Tencent, Alibaba. Um, you know, billions of of foreign investment are leaving the country. So. He's going to double down on me. So the weaker the economy gets, the stronger the party gets. You know, it's kind of a reinvention of Mao's self-sufficiency. Uh, Xi has said many times he wants to China to depend on its own market and its own uh, consumer demand. So, yeah, he's taking a risk, but I don't think it's going to affect him. Um, it's going to affect China, but he's not going to change his policy.
0: Absolutely interesting connection you made there between a weaker economy and the stronger party. So thank you so much, James Gorey. I really appreciated your uh, insights today. My
2: pleasure.
1: Former UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has pulled out of the race to become the country's next prime minister. With Johnson out, former Finance Minister Rishi Sunak and House of Commons leader Penny Mordaunt battle for the title.
4: In a statement on Sunday, Johnson said that he, former finance minister Rishi Sunak, and Penny Mordaunt have not been able to come together in national interests. adding that you can't govern effectively unless you have a united party in parliament. Are you ready for the leadership, Mr. Sunak? This news comes the same day Sunak officially entered the race, in a contest that could be over by Monday if Mardant can't reach the required 100-vote threshold among conservative lawmakers. Even before his official declaration on Twitter, Sunak had well over the threshold at 129 votes, according to the BBC. Mordaunt, who was once the Secretary of Defense, had 23 declared backers and told the BBC that reports she tried to strike a deal with Johnson were false. But Johnson's statement likely paves the way for Sunak, his arch-rival, to become the next prime minister, replacing Liz Truss, who was forced to resign after she launched an economic program that triggered turmoil on financial markets.
0: A Korean Airlines passenger said jet overshot a runway in the Philippines Sunday night. All 173 passengers and crew are safe with no reported injuries. The Airbus A330 was en route from Incheon City in South Korea to Maktan International Airport. It tried to land two times during bad weather and overshot the runway on the third attempt. With its underbelly destroyed, the plane now lies in the grassy area at the end of the airport's lone runway. The airport was closed indefinitely, with dozens of flights being cancelled and incoming flights being redirected to surrounding airports. Passengers were evacuated via the aircraft's escape slides.
1: Back in the states, the race to determine who will occupy the New York governor's chair has intensified as polls tighten. Meanwhile, Republican challenger Lee Zeldin and Governor Kathy Hochul have now agreed to a debate. NTD's Daniel
5: Monahan has more. Zeldin was originally holding out for multiple debates instead of just the one hour-long meeting. However, he ultimately agreed to Hokel's demand that there could only be one short debate. It will take place on Tuesday night, just days before early voting kicks off and with polls getting tight. The agreement on the debate comes as polling shows Zeldin closing the gap with Hokel. One poll, the Independent Coefficient Survey, even shows him with a slight lead. This is the first poll showing Zeldin running ahead, or even with the Democrat governor. Zeldin has run his campaign on a message of law and order, making frequent appearances outside subway stations in New York City to highlight violent crime. His strategy has apparently been working, as polls showed him losing by 17 points just a couple of months ago. But we have to work
6: for it. And then we have to get to work in saving the state. And that means the first thing that we need to do on day one, as soon as we get there, is tell the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg he's being fired. On day one is that we are going to declare a crime emergency in New York and we are going to suspend cashless bail and the other pro-criminal laws they passed.
5: As of October, overall crime in New York City is up over 30% since last year, with felony assaults up 14% and rape up 11%. Mayor Eric Adams has recently been criticized for his response to the situation of increased crime in the subway system. This after recommending subway passengers stop using their phones or headphones while riding the subway to avoid being victimized. For her part, Hochul largely previously focused her campaign on abortion and on tying Zeldin to former president Donald Trump. As polls have tightened and her victory no longer seems assured, Hochul has pivoted to the issue of crime and jobs creation. She recently announced, along with Mayor Adams, a surge in officer presence on subway platforms and trains by approximately 1,200 overtime shifts daily. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: As mentioned, especially subway crime in New York has increased 41 percent so far this year compared to the same period in 2021. New York state and city officials announced a plan on Saturday to combat the rise in crime and better deal with mental illness in New York City's subway system. Officials announced an increased police presence, new training for officers on engaging with homeless individuals, and the installing of more cameras. The COPS Cameras Care initiative will include a surge of roughly 1,200 more overtime officer shifts on subway platforms and trains each day. The Transit Authority will also employ unarmed security guards at turnstiles to increase security presence and prevent fare evasion. Transit police officers will be deployed at four major commuter railroad, hub, railroad hubs. That will free up roughly 100 NYPD officers for deployment at other transit locations. New York City has been reeling from several high-profile violent crimes in the past few months in its subway system and elsewhere.
5: We have to look at the totality of public safety. And what we have found in our analysis is that Uh, When that police officer makes that quick apprehension, he's, he's preventing the repeated crimes. There's a small number of people who are repeated
7: committing these crimes. The MTA is going to be ensuring that there are security guards at the turnstiles as well so they can monitor situations that if someone sees something, hears something, they have one more person they can speak to while they're in the station, but also to deter
0: a tragedy just happened just yesterday. A 14-year-old girl was stabbed on a train in Manhattan after she got into a dispute with two other teenage girls she knew. This is the latest violent incident inside the city's troubled transit system.
1: And heading out west, California Governor Gavin Newsom debated his opponent, Brian Daly, over the weekend. Newsom vowed to serve a full four-year term if he wins in November. That's amid speculation he will run for president in 2024 today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Sunday's debate.
0: With
7: the two candidates sat down for a civil hour-long debate, calmly discussing issues Californians are facing and the solutions they each bring to the table.
6: As we speak, we're sending out billions and billions of dollars in inflation checks.
7: We're Newsom is expected 5, to easily win re-election $3.2> in $3.2> November and has done little campaigning in California this year. Instead, he's fueled speculation that he might be considering a 2024 presidential run. That's because he's been running ads challenging Republican leaders in Florida and Texas, potential opponents in a presidential election.
8: I will be nice. clear, that was a yes on four more years.
7: Yes. Okay. Dale honed in on the economy and the cost of living, including high gas prices. Californians are fleeing California for one reason, because
6: they can't afford to live here, and he's out of touch with the everyday, hard-working, middle-class Californians. Now, yes, his elite friends can afford Teslas at $70,000, but uh, Californians
7: on the whole, have no opportunity but to just suffer from the policies. Governor, Their exchange heated up when the topic of education was raised. Both candidates have children in private schools. Dahle says the state's public schools are failing due to Newsom's policies. I take offense at our policies and strategies. I mean, what you identified are
6: problems. We're identifying solutions every single day.
7: Sunday's debate is the only one the candidates will have before the election. Dale's campaign has raised less than $1 million and has not run any TV ads. He plans to drive a truck across the state and hold rallies up until Election Day. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: With the midterm elections just a few weeks away, candidates are busy working the campaign trail. Pennsylvania's Republican nominee for Governor Doug Mastriano is touring his state. His Restore Freedom Tour stopped in Luzerne County on Saturday. And D.D.'s Jeremy Sandberg has more on that, too. Oh, I'm looking forward to a
8: new day in PA in 17 days. What do you think?
7: <laughs> Pennsylvania's GOP candidate for governor is confident he will win his race. We're going to win, but everyone needs to get out and vote. He says the big issues he'll tackle if elected are crime, inflation, and energy.
8: We're gonna open up our energy sector. On day one, we're gonna get out of this carbon tax that Wolf and Shapiro got us in, and we're gonna open up our oil reserves, our coal, and our our gas, and we're gonna start developing our energy sector like never before. The goal is to become number one in the nation. That's gonna bring a lot of money to our state, drive down prices, drive down inflation, and make it easier to live in Pennsylvania.
7: The state senator and retired Army colonel is running against Pennsylvania's Attorney General, Democrat Josh Shapiro.
8: Our Attorney General, my opponent, has failed the people of Pennsylvania, and let me lay out why. Uh, crime on his watch has gone up 40 percent. We have 1,000 carjackings in Philadelphia alone, um, 4,400 robberies, I mean, about 3,000 shootings, I believe. I mean, it's incredible.
7: Mastriano's campaign tour is called Restoring Freedom. He says that's what he aims to do as governor.
8: I was in the Army for 30 years, and it was about defending our freedoms. And then I come home and I watch our freedoms being stripped away. So the number one issue we're facing is restoring freedom. Your choice on whether you get a jab, a vaccine or not, your choice, whether your business stays open or not, not some governor deciding whether or not your business is is essential.
7: The gubernatorial hopeful says he wants to unite voters and bring the state back together by returning the power back to the people. He stressed the importance of voting in the midterms.
8: Pennsylvania is the keystone state. The path to 2024 presidential election goes right through Pennsylvania. It's it's imperative we win here this year. I believe since God has blessed Pennsylvania as the birthplace of our nation, that what happens in Pennsylvania this year can change the course and trajectory of American history forever. So let's get out and vote and restore freedom.
7: The midterm elections are held on November 8th. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: And on to a very different story here. Life is full of unexpected setbacks, but if you go with the flow, things might turn out pretty colorful. We have the story of how after a knee injury, a coal miner took up a new hobby and now produces breathtaking pictures.
6: Ray Collins is a world-renowned ocean photographer. His photographs adorn the cover of surf magazines. He also published two books featuring his images. Ray's photos awe and inspire people, even though he's colorblind.
3: I feel like I don't see what everyone else sees, but that also might be a good thing to be unique in as a photographer.
6: Ray did not start out as an artist. His
3: beginnings were modest. I used to work in an underground coal mine, which was one kilometer down and about 30 kilometers in. And uh, it was really dark and dusty and, and uh, really dangerous as well. I did that um, for a few years until I had a knee injury, and that knee injury left me unable to walk for a time. It ended up being the biggest blessing in disguise.
6: Unable to walk for weeks, he bought a camera and learned how it works from scratch. At one point, his doctor suggested swimming to help his knee heal. Since Ray grew up on the beach, he was thrilled to be able to go back into the water, this time with his camera.
3: The ocean, has been my greatest teacher. It makes you force to be still and to be present. It will teach you, if you let it, it will teach you respect, uh, patience, courage, how to go with the flow. I wanna convey the emotions of the ocean. The two ingredients for all of my work are water and light. Normally I'm not looking for a bright blue sky and sunny day. I'm looking for gray and ominous and dark clouds and maybe a bit of light rain.
6: Ray likes churning waters. He's searching for shallow reefs surrounded by deep water, perfect places for big waves to form. He swims out in the dark with his gear waiting for the sun to
3: come up. Taking the shots is quite challenging. You just try to hang there and um, get as close as you can, but also keep yourself safe. It's a blurry line, though, and it moves and it's hard to stay on top of. The, the dangers are always there because you're constantly moving. My photo, my studio where I take photos, the walls are, are caving in on me. It's pulling and pushing. Uh, recently, I was surfing at a, at a reef where I take photos and um, I was driven chest first into the, the rock underneath and I broke four ribs and the impact squeezed so hard that my lung popped underwater. I was just so lucky that my friend was there on a jet ski and if it wasn't for him, um, not sure I would have been able to get in and to hospital.
6: Grateful for the life the ocean has given him, the Australian photographer plans on allowing his muse to take him to whatever his destiny
3: might be. It's a great honor to be able to bring the ocean to people who don't normally see it. I feel like it's my calling in life to be able to do that. The ocean has given me almost everything. I met my wife through a photo competition in America and now we've been together for 12 years. Life wouldn't be worth living if if I wasn't able to access the ocean every day, I feel.
1: Man, that is so cool. He was able to overcome that health adversity and really find his passion.
0: It is, and the pictures—oh my gosh, it's so amazing! Like, even though he's colorblind, the colors are so vibrant, and I mean, the movements—did you see that? Everything oh. was so clear in that. So yeah, I, I know. really Like that.
1: It's really cool that he's colorblind, but he's able to captivate nature's beauty. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And I like how he describes the oceans as having emotions. You know, it's beautiful to be—you know. Beautiful scenes on land and and Ontario, Canada is bearing witness to nature's colors, did you know? Uh, A special weather pattern has made the colors in the leaves come alive. After a season of lower temperatures, Ontario is experiencing an autumn of especially colorful trees. The reds, yellows and oranges are the result of cold weather coming without frost while the area received a lot of rainfall. It's a welcome change from last year's relatively dull colors. A drop in temperatures during early autumn is crucial for brighter-than-usual colors. The chemical responsible for the green color, chlorophyll, stops being produced in the colder weather and shorter days. This allows the yellows and the red colors to shine through. Ah, fall is such an inspiring time. I just love it when the colors are popping like that. You know, I was out in uh, up north in northern Wisconsin, and man, down those scenic roads, it's just all wild country and you see so many colors.
0: I can totally relate to that. You know, we spent the weekend up in in the Poconos Mountains. And I just see their explanation. Everything makes so much sense because the colors were so incredibly vibrant. It was absolutely beautiful.
1: Yeah, and when that chlorophyll goes away, all the colors are out. And that's when the evergreens, the greens really pop. So cool.
0: Yeah, that's pretty true. All right. On this note, we want to end the program here. We'd love to hear from you before you go. You can share, as always, your thoughts and your story at goodmorning@entity.com. at entity.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.
1: And I'm Kevin Hogan.